Hello and welcome to War Stories, a year at Tyneside Cinema. My name is Simon Dowling and as always, I am your host. The idea of this new kind of sub-podcast within War Stories is to track my New Year's resolution. Last year in 2017 I set myself the New Year's resolution of going to the Tyneside Cinema at least once a week or the equivalent number of trips, so 52 trips within the year. I sadly failed at this task and only went 39 times, which I still think is pretty impressive. It means I spent like a month's wages on going to the Tyneside Cinema, which I absolutely cannot complain about because it is my favourite place in the city. In order to track it this year, I figured it would be quite a good idea to kind of do little short podcasts about what I've been to see. Um, I generally go and see things as they've been released, so you know, hopefully I'll be telling you about films that you will have the opportunity to go and see the Tyneside Cinema. I will also go to some one-off events. They always do their kind of great cult classic all-nighters where I'll go and see an old film that I love. I already know that I'm going to see a few Paul Thomas Anderson films in January and February, which again, I will talk about. These trips do count. It's just trips to the cinema. It's not going to see 52 new films. I did actually do that last year. I went to see 53 new films last year. But that included going to the Odeon, going to View, going to like Peckhamplex in London. I went to Glasgow Film Theatre. I went to the Film House in Edinburgh. I do track my cinema viewing on Letterboxd. If you've not heard of Letterboxd, it's the word Letterbox with a D on the end. It's kind of like a film tracking website. It's a bit like Goodreads, but for films. So you track whether you've watched a film at home, whether you've watched a film at the cinema. I use tags to tell me where I went to see certain films, which is how I know that I went to 39 films at the Tyneside Cinema. My username on there is the Go Slow, and I will put a link on the War Stories page. And the first film I'm going to be discussing is the first film I went to see in 2018, and that was Molly's Game. Now, Molly's Game is a 2017 film directed by uh, famous screenwriter Aaron Sorkin and is his directorial debut. I've been pretty excited for this film for a while because I love Aaron Sorkin. You'll have inevitably seen something that he has written, be it his TV shows, The West Wing, Studio 60 on the Sunset Strip, which was sadly cancelled because of its similarity, although it's not at all similar, to 30 Rock. And he also wrote The Newsroom. Film-wise, he wrote Social Network, for which he won an Oscar. He wrote the Steve Jobs film, the one with Michael Fassbender, not the one with Ashton Kutcher. He wrote Moneyball, and he is a notoriously brilliant writer. He has a particular style, which is kind of very heavy dialogue, a lot of kind of quips, and he is a fantastic writer. If you like Aaron Sorkin stuff, you will like pretty much anything Aaron Sorkin has done. Molly's Game is no exception. He wrote this film. It's based on a true story of a lady named Molly Bloom, who is a former Olympic level, but never at the Olympics, skier, who ended up running very, very high-class poker games across the United States. It's kind of another in a series of films about real people that Aaron Sorkin's done over the last couple of years. Moneyball's based on a true story. Steve Jobs is obviously based on Steve Jobs, and The Social Network is based on Mark Zuckerberg, the future president of the United States of America. His approach to kind of crafting these characters isn't 
as a lot of kind of biography films would be they're not as straight they kind of delve deep into the character's psyche he tends to show these people falling apart a lot more than he does show them succeeding and um, especially in the case of steve jobs uh he kind of shone a light on how shitty a dad steve jobs was regardless of how great the iphone was the social network the kind of clash amongst people that mark zuckerberg respected they're the best scenes in the film. Molly's Game stars Jessica Chastain. She is famous because of Zero Dark Thirty. She'd been in films before that. Um, she's in a film called Jolene, which is kind of based on the song by Dolly Parton, um, in which she plays like a mother come stripper, kind of Erin Brockovichy type. She always plays strong female characters. She's always kind of uh, strong. She never kind of shies away from her good looks and her incredible acting prowess and again this film is no different she is fantastic in molly's game her kind of portrayal of this broken but super strong character is absolutely stunning and to be honest completely carries the the film the supporting cast isn't particularly strong michael cera is michael cera kevin costner is really good but he is very much a with and and he's tagged on uh, he's not in the film particularly that much and plays a classic grumpy but strong kind of father figure idris elba is probably the weakest link in the film he does an idris elba performance but without their shouting he he's very much the like i say the weak link in the film his accent slips a couple of times which he, this is a guy who played stringer bell we know that he can do a fantastic american accent think more his accent in um prometheus or pacific rim where it drops quite a lot rather than his accent in uh, in the wire now the film itself for a directorial debut is um fantastically shot it looks beautiful aaron sorkin's kind of flexing almost film school type muscles uh, it's got a non-linear structure it uses kind of different um, aspect ratios in that it's got footage from a, a video camera as well as having these kind of wide, beautiful, sweeping sports shots from the skiing sections. And then he's got a lot of this kind of tight, cutting, close-up editing when it's kind of one-on-one, -on -one classic Aaron Sorkin dialogue. Now, something that I've personally not seen Aaron Sorkin do before in his screenwriting, which I don't know how he hasn't cottoned onto this previously, is a voiceover. It's probably got the most like arrogant and uh, overbearing voiceover since The Wolf of Wall Street, which, you know, if you've seen that film, you'll know has this kind of very macho voiceover. It's, you know, very much pinned on the ego of the character. This is no different. You kind of try and read Molly Bloom like a book and you think you know the choices that she's going to make, but she surprises you. And the voiceover does too. Her character is very much driven by this powerful, incredibly fast voiceover. Aaron Sorkin's known for the walk and talk, which was kind of crafted in the West Wing, which is instead of having kind of these exposition scenes with two people sitting in a chair, he did the walk and talk, which was he'd get one person to walk into a room, get the attention of the other person, and they'd walk around. This was mimicked in 30 Rock, in a really fantastic episode in which Aaron Sorkin himself 
cameos and does a walk and talk with Liz Lemon. The dialogue is exactly as you'd expect in an Aaron Sorkin film. It is snappy. There are many kind of laugh out loud responses uh, and quips within the dialogue. It's a lot faster than I've kind of ever seen him do before, especially coming off the back of like Jobs, which in my opinion should have been on a stage. It was kind of slow and brooding. This is very fast. I mean, one of the joys of the West Wing is that if you miss something when he, a character is talking this kind of dense Sorkin dialogue, you can pause it, you can go back and rewind it. Most people have it on DVD or they're watching it on a streaming service. You can go back if you've missed something. You can't do that in a cinema. So if you have missed the line, you can't retrace. The film itself is structured fantastically. Like I say, it, it's non-linear. It jumps between the present. Um, the It opens with Molly Bloom being arrested by the FBI for running rigged or raked, as they call them, poker games. And then it cuts between her skiing career as a child and her getting into and excelling at these poker games. I won't say too much about the story. Again, it's, it's a true story, so you've kind of got to be careful what you Google. If you Google Molly's game, you're not going to get any spoilers, but if you Google Molly Bloom, the character herself, you might get some spoilers about what happened to her character. But like I say, the film jumps between these, these narratives and it does it really well. And it never lingers too long on any particular moment. It cuts between them quite well. Just as anything is getting a bit tired, it jumps to a a different timeline and gives you a different aspect of the story and it's done really well. The film is two hours and 20, maybe two hours, 25 minutes long, which is a long film. I, when I find out that a film is an hour and 40 minutes, throw my fist into the air because that's how long a film should be. But filmmakers seem to be, like I said, flexing their muscles a lot more. For a debut to smash out this two hours, 20 thriller is is very impressive from Aaron Sorkin but it does not feel like it's two hours and 20 minutes because it's so well structured it's so well paced you care so much about the characters and the dialogue being super fast does help it's a bit like watching Gilmore Girls where Amy Sherman Palladino writes these 70 minute scripts and then films them for 40 minutes and then you watch the show and you kind of feel like each episode is 20 minutes because everything is is so fast it never drags I'll leave it there um there's not really much else I can say about Molly's Game other than that I, I think it's a fantastic debut from Aaron Sorkin and, you know, there are um, many, many reasons to go and see it even if you're not an Aaron Sorkin fan. Particularly, it's that time of year where going to the cinema is absolutely fantastic. Some people love award season, some people hate it. I personally love it because I get kind of these lists of films that I might have missed off the back of Golden Globe nominations, off the back of... BAFTA nominations that all come out at this time of year so I expect to see Molly's Game getting a few of those nominations especially the best Oscar for adapted screenplay with these podcasts I'm going to try and keep them kind of this short I want them to be concise I don't want this to be this film podcast where I dive into the minutiae of every film it is essentially for me to track films as I go and see them and for me to sell them to you essentially so that you might visit the Tyneside Cinema. I would recommend becoming a friend of the Tyneside Cinema. You get a discount, you get two free tickets which basically is 50% of the uh, cost of the friendship anyway. You also get a 10% discount in the bar which when I drink there quite often 
and my wife likes eating there and I have friends who go there quite often and I'll get popcorn every time I go to the cinema, it really adds up and is so worth it. You're also supporting the Tyneside Cinema, keeping the cinematic dream of a lot of young people in, in Newcastle alive. They do a lot of fantastic work. I would love to do a proper War Stories podcast with someone from the Tyneside one day, but completely understand that they are an organisation probably above my station for now. Anyway, go and see Molly's game. I haven't kind of invented a rating system. You can go and see my rating on Letterboxd um, and as well read kind of a little bit more about, about what I've said. Thank you for listening to the first episode of My Year at the Tyneside Cinema. I am Simon Dowling.